Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Water, and I'm here, as always, I'm a good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Excited for today's conversation we are going to be diving into the Journal of Insulin Resistance, and we're going to talk about sodium, aka salt, and we're going to blow up some of the myths that we have learned or we have dispelled over the last few years of adopting a fasting lifestyle. So mm. be prepared to talk salt and all things salt. As always, we want to give you some actionable things that you can do from today's conversation. And there's going to be some really cool connection points and as ahas, as we hope, we can distill them down through today's convo. So if you're new to the podcast, thank you for joining us and thank you for giving us a shot and making us part of your fasting journey. Head back if you want to learn more about our story and how fasting has transformed our lives. Uh, You can hear more about Tommy and I and why we do what we do week in and week out. If you're a long-term listener, thank you for tuning in again. If you feel so inclined, please give us a shout out. We love the five-star review kind as we continue to put out episodes each and every week. Now, Tommy, Mm -hmm. salt. If I go and ask my dad, my mom, and their friends Mm -hmm. what they think about salt, what do you think their number one thing is going to be? Bad for blood pressure. Exactly. Mm. I have to watch my salt intake. And now some of my, my dad is an ex-diabetic, but friends so cool. and family, that generation, lot of diabetes, pre-diabetes, et cetera, which typically starts years before with metabolic syndrome, which is elevated blood pressure, abnormal labs, cholesterol, triglycerides, et cetera. So yeah, the number one thing they're going to say is, oh yeah, I got to watch my salt intake or, you know, swelling of the legs or yeah. my doc said, I got to, you know, the blood pressure meds I'm on, et cetera. And Honestly, that couldn't be farther from the truth now that we know what we know. So this first study came out of the Journal of Insulin Resistance, and it it is a review of 23 clinical trials. Wow. So that's a lot, okay? (laughs) 23 clinical trials. And one of the authors of this study is Dr. James D. I am not going to attempt his last name. But he also wrote the book called The Salt Fix, and it is jam-packed with research links and kind of an overview. If you've ever read Dr. Jason Fung, who is where we were exposed to fasting and and the art of fasting and how powerful fasting could be, the the Diabetes Code, code, the Obesity Code, the Complete Mm -hmm. Guide to Fasting, this book, The Salt Fix, is much like that. It's an easy read, but it breaks down the fact that Low salt diets worsen markers of insulin and glucose issues. Mm. So if you've been listening to us for a while, we always make sure that we speak from a place of 
decreasing insulin, decreasing insulin resistance, and decreasing the potential for disease processes that are related to all of these things, as well as, you know, what we feel the easiest way to do that is adopting a fasting lifestyle. Sure. So when you talk about a book like The Salt Fix, and we start talking about those things that we hear all the time, like salt is going to lead to higher blood pressure, it's leading to fluid retention, swelling in my ankles, like you mentioned, that means there is some, there's definitely some, some cognitive dissonance that can be there. And so like, we have to know that what we're going to be talking about, like the evidence is clear, much like the heart healthy, low fat, you know, back from the seventies the and eighties and trying to get burned fat by eating low fat and how that wrecked a lot of the trajectory of a lot of our waistlines and our and our blood metrics over the past few decades. The same thing could be said about demonizing salt, right? 100%. So it's now starting to be more well-known. This was published in March of 2023. So wow. this is like right out the gates, right? So let's frame it out, beginning with the end in mind. What you just mentioned was that salt was bad. <laughs> Reduce mm -hmm. the salt. Well, first of all, we're gonna have to talk about different types of salt. We're going to give you recommendations of how much salt we recommend, especially if you're fasting or if you have insulin resistance or prediabetes or diabetes, and just share some of the stats that have kind of connected all of the dots to the realization that especially if you fall into the blood sugar category, prediabetes, diabetes, insulin resistance, et cetera, that you absolutely need to increase your salt, which is counterculture mm. to the previous conversation that we will have. Tommy, you had mentioned that you had a conversation with some 55 plus year olds, right? Where yep. got to watch my salt. My yeah. dad is still stubborn in that he wants to still kind of like this still pops up every now and then. And I'm like, sure. dad, remember? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Because it's so ingrained, it's so right? Ingrained, like yeah. breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Low right. fat, you know, decrease your cholesterol that you're eating to, to lower your cholesterol. Well, that's actually not true. We know that now that the cholesterol we eat doesn't turn into the cholesterol floating into our bloodstream. Yeah. So this conversation around salt is falling in the same category. So the study was sodium restriction and insulin resistance, a review of 23 clinical trials. And we're just going to go over the big premise. The paper aimed to find human clinical studies looking at low salt diets on markers of glucose and insulin. So went to PubMed using search terms sodium, insulin, and insulin resistance and found 23 human clinical studies testing low salt diets showing negative harms on insulin and glucose. 23 human clinical trials have shown that low-salt diets lead to systemic or vascular insulin resistance, glucose intolerance, elevated fasting insulin, and or elevations in glucose and or insulin levels after an OGTT test, which wow. is an oral glucose tolerance test. So they concluded that low-salt diets worsen markers of insulin and glucose. Caution is advised when recommending salt restriction for blood pressure control as they may lead to worsening of the resistance of insulin. Mm. Low salt diets can induce insulin resistance. Wow. I think out of all of those 23, there were only two that showed anything that was like that that may have been conducive to like keeping blood pressure the same or lowering it in any given patient population which which meant that 21 of them, 21 out of those 23, so 90% showed that it worsened the markers, all the important markers, and didn't result in a decrease in blood pressure anyway. So it was like 
it's so reverse from from everything that that we've heard over the past several decades for like hey i have high blood pressure so what happens i get put on a medication usually starts off small and then usually increases over time and told to get on a, a low sodium diet period and and now we're hearing more and more about the dash diet and some other things that were like specifically designed around blood pressure control but so many of them are like so far off the mark it's incredible yeah so i want to come at this from the perspective that we have 80 million Americans with prediabetes, 30 million Americans with diabetes, that metabolic syndrome, dysmetabolism, the inability to process the energy that we ingest. We're gonna talk about sugar, our food supply, food choices. But the reason why this really directly speaks to you, the listener, as a fasting advocate is that most people that come to fasting are going to be wanting to lose weight, get healthier, potentially reverse some of these issues, right? So metabolic syndrome is increased blood pressure, high blood sugar, excess body fat around the waist, and abnormal cholesterol or triglyceride levels. But what they're finding is that by reducing the salt is that you're actually furthering the LDL increase and triglyceride levels. Never mind not benefiting the cardiovascular system or decreasing the risk of cardiovascular disease. And- you're kind of swimming with the disease process rather than, or furthering it rather than yeah. trying to reverse it. So it's, it's a complete like 180. Yeah. Right. And or never mind, fire, not right. Water. Never yeah. mind when you fast, the same mechanism or similar mechanism that insulin is actually causing the salt retention, not the salt itself. When you fast, you are going to be decreasing the, aldosterone, or excuse me, you're going to be decreasing insulin. Aldosterone is going to go to the kidneys and tell the kidneys to flush out water, which is the issue of diuresis. Mm-hmm. Diuresis is the flushing of fluids when you're low carb or fasting. You flush the fluids out, so you actually pull all of the electrolytes out as well. Because you can't be without pulling additional yeah. electrolytes out. Yeah, period. The best way to get them back in is by adding salt back into the equation. Yeah, the crazy part, like I remember going through physiology like medical physiology and and all of the charts showing, hey, this is exactly where it comes from, the sodium and potassium from your diet. Here's where it goes. Here's where it acts on the kidney. Here's why it directly affects blood pressure, right. et cetera. But the, the big assumption that was made erroneously was the fact that if you, if you pulled on the lever, which was your food intake and changed your sodium and potassium, then that had the direct effect on the kidney and on the, on the water, on basically your, your overall not your hydration levels, but also your, your hydrostatic pressure levels, like actually in your, in your vascular walls. So the, the problem there is that it completely ignored the fact that insulin is acting on the kidneys to change aldosterone and to change the actual pressure balance and the, and the blood pressure itself. So it's, it's not just this, this simple food intake salt leading to blood pressure changes, as I saw in so many physiology charts. So. Right. So when we're talking about the mechanisms of action here, so mechanisms for how low salt diets induce insulin resistance. This was part of that study that we mentioned in the Journal of Insulin Resistance. And we're talking about activation of the sympathetic nervous system, blocking sympathetic nervous system signaling. Catecholamines contributed to decreased insulin sensitivity, meaning worsening of insulin resistance. Hyperactivity, sympathetic hyperactivity can lead to constriction of peripheral blood vessels, reducing skeletal muscle blood flow and inducing insulin resistance elevation of non-sterified fatty acids, 
lower intracellular sodium concentrations, which can increase sugar absorption in the intestines. So all of these different mechanisms end up coming to a head where when we look at certain groups of individuals having reduction in blood pressure with sodium restriction, mm. an equally substantial subgroup, younger individuals, right, with normal, normal blood pressure or pre-hypertension have significant increases in blood pressure with salt restriction. Wow. In not the, what in we the, want. Not what we want. So yeah. additionally, low salt intakes increase and elevate heart rate, which may outweigh any blood pressure lowering benefit. So wow. considering that at least 23 studies have shown that low salt diets worsen insulin resistance, fasting insulin, and or glucose insulin responses to an OGGT, OGTT test, which is that oral glucose tolerance test, which is more accurate than a fasting blood glucose test, which is the one where you just eat dinner, go to bed, and then wake up and get your blood test done. Sodium restriction should be used cautiously. And then there was the meta-analysis that this study mentioned that 19 of 20 randomized crossover trials showed that sodium restriction significantly increased fasting insulin levels. So we're kind of undermining all the efforts. Not good. So when we're fasting, we start fasting, and then we see this effect, this, this drop in insulin that then can lead to a drop in water retention that can lead to a drop in blood pressure good or bad. If I, if my blood pressure was elevated, then that can drop it. And so that would be a good thing unless I was taking blood pressure lowering medications, right? That could kind of throw a wrench in things, but it can also make me feel different as well. But the cool thing is the encouraging part to start with is lower blood pressure in general is going to be, is going to be an improvement, especially if I have right. weight to, if I have weight to lose, you know, most of us have, have room for improvement on our blood pressure, right? hundred percent. So when we're looking at why the blood pressure comes down, the main takeaway there is that the blood pressure is decreasing due to the fact that insulin is lowering. So fasting. A good thing. Very good. Yes. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Fasting lowers insulin, low carb lowers insulin, right? So mm, that's when we look yeah. at all of these hyperinsulinemic people with type two diabetes, or even in random systemic reviews or meta-analysis of random controlled trials of people that have normal blood sugar, we'll see that the blood pressure will come down, but it's due to the insulinogenic effect or the mm. insulin effect, the lower yeah. insulin on the kidneys. Now, the other side of that is the problem side where it's like, well, if we're going to, you know, try to reverse diabetes or prevent diabetes, we want to opt for a lower carb or more healthy carb, right? Mm -hmm. Non-processed, non-refined carb approach, then we're absolutely going to have to add salt into our protocol to help counteract that mm. diuretic type effect, which is going to cause us to feel dehydrated, brain fog, fatigue, a yeah, little fuzzy, little fuzzy, yeah. more hunger, more cravings. Maybe even um, lightheaded sometimes. Yeah, some lightheadedness. Yeah. And then we feel we're more sensitive to those changes in blood pressure. So even the famous DASH diet, the sodium trial, Ugh found that salt restriction increased the triglycerides, LDL, and total cholesterol ratio. That's so crazy. it's like- I don't hear anybody talking about that either. I know. So we realized that, wow, yes, we do recommend salt. We recommend it to all of our challengers, right? When we yep. do our seven-day challenges. We just did a fasting fundamentals masterclass. That's something mm -hmm. we're rolling out a new masterclass series this year, where we can start going over the different pillars of a fasting lifestyle. and. 
one of the three or four main pillars of that fundamentals masterclass was how to hydrate properly. It's not yeah. more water. It's you need to add in salt to help balance all those things out. And never mind, yeah. it can also help with that transition from sugar burner into fat burner when you're going from glucose to ketone production. Absolutely. And the crazy part is that when you go from having at least three eating opportunities in a day, but some of us may have had four or five or six eating opportunities if you count up all the snacks and, and things like that. Going from that, that's a fairly consistent salt intake all throughout the day. And then, and then go from that to now I set my first 16 or 18 hour timer, or now I just did an OMAD and I have one opportunity maybe, or two opportunities to bring in salt. So not only do we have insulin coming down and our salt levels are going down, but our opportunities are going down as well. So it can be, it can feel like a lot, especially in the very beginning before we have a chance to kind of adapt to these, this, this change in, in salt intake frequency. So we did an episode recently, episode 174, and there was a research article in there that was the mainstay of that of that episode. And in that nutrition.bmj.com article, there was a supplemental that was created for providers to actually be able to help, you know, insights from a general practice service evaluating a lower carb diet in patients with type 2 diabetes and like literally how to manage these this this patient base or this type of individual. And in there, it says salt, due to the renal sodium retaining properties of insulin for those with type 2 diabetes are going low carb and therefore lower insulin results in considerable loss of sodium and consequently a diuresis, which is that water flushing effect. Right. It says in here, patients may well need to increase salt intake, particularly in the first few weeks. Yes. So if you are starting to stack your fasts on top of one another or you're starting to re-engage with going more low carb because you just feel better, you, you absolutely have to increase your salt intake. Now, if you're a healthy individual, you don't really necessarily need to worry about hitting like a salt overload because you're going to have a more normal metabolic function where aldosterone acting on the kidneys and your normal hydration that you're that you that you keep on a day-to-day -day basis isn't going to fluctuate as much mm -hmm. if the insulin resistance is not there. So, we're going to give you some guidelines here in just a couple of minutes, but I just found it interesting that if you go back to Pretty much the gold standard, the Cochrane meta-analysis. Like if you hear Cochrane, then you're going to be looking at like, like the gold standard of gold standard when it comes to recommendations based off of research. They found that th the last thought here on the low sodium interventions lowered blood pressure only minimally. This is after looking at 170 studies that low sodium interventions lowered blood pressure only minimally while significantly raising levels of kidney hormones, stress hormones, and unhealthy triglycerides. So overall negative health effect on cholesterol and triglycerides and possibly yeah. a thickening of the blood wow. and increases fasting norepinephrine, increases heart rate. I don't know how else to say it, but man, did we get it wrong? Right. It's compounded by the fact that you end up chasing your tail around looking to, you know, lower these bad markers or, you know, lower the blood pressure, lower the triglycerides, lower the LDL. And at the same time, I'm, I'm doing the reverse, but I don't even know why that's happening. So then I'm, I'm just trying to pour more fuel on the fire. Like it's almost like the caloric restriction and the fact that, well, my diet stopped working at 1500 calories. So maybe I need to go to 1200 calories or, yep. you know, like, like further cut it. Same thing with salt. I hear that all the time. Like, you know, just raise my, raise my dosage, you know, doubled my, my dosage of my blood pressure, lowering medication. Right. 
it's not working. Some of those I, are actually diuretics. Sure. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah, so right. if you're fasting, be careful. Yeah. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He's our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors and we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the fasting for life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in and now back to today's episode. So further cutting salt is is not the answer. It's it's that's probably going to lead to to worsening effects. It's crazy, right? So let's let's shift to the what are we going to do about it side. But let's talk first about sugar and salt. So okay. salt first. So when we're talking about table salt, right? Like Morton's table salt. Mm-hmm. It's typically mined inland, heated to extreme temperatures. There's usually some added chemicals. They add in potassium and sodium iodide for iodized salt. They add in colors and dextroses and sodium bicarbonates and all this other stuff. Mm. So when we look at the fact of like, okay, is that really what our body needs? No, it's it's more of like a modified salt than it is a true salt. So yeah. when we talk about salts, we want to make sure that we're being really particular about the type of salt we're using and the type of salt we're recommending. So Celtic sea salts, Red Redmond's, Redmond salt, Mm -hmm. and or Himalayan salt 
are all great sources. And what's the big difference between them? Well, one of them is Celtic, Himalayan, and Redmond's all on that side of the aisle. All of those have all of the trace minerals and electrolytes that we need to balance our hydration normally, to allow mm. the kidney to function normally. All of the stuff gets flushed out, right? As we are fasting, as we are going low carb, as we are on blood pressure lowering medications or diuretics, right? We're losing that hydration. So all of the trace minerals, the magnesiums, the potassiums, everything down to the borons and the seleniums, right? Are in mm. these, think of them almost like a multivitamin or a therapeutic salt rather than just a table salt. So that's right. the type of salt we're gonna recommend that you increase when you start adding in or playing around with your individualized salt, daily kind of salt requirement. I know what works for me now, but I've been doing this for a long time, right? Sure. Yeah, it takes a while. Also, this is an, another shout out to eating nutritiously when you do break yes. your fast rather than, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm craving it and can I just, you know, continue to eat whatever I want whenever I break my fast because I'm fasting. I'm going to encourage you making good, healthy, nutritious choices when you do go to break your fast is only going to help. It's going to help, you know, balance the blood pressure and reduce the cravings and accelerate your fasting results if you're looking to burn through some old fat stores because better, more nutritious health choices means I'm bringing in more of those, you know, full broad spectrum electrolytes that I need. And, you know, like proper salt hydration is really, really, really going to help. So continue to like lean into good habits when you do go to break your fast too. Yeah. So just to summarize the differences in salts, right? So when we're looking at, you know, table salt, it's composed mainly of sodium chloride with some of those things I mentioned, anti-caking agents, additives, mm -hmm. some, some added things as well, Yeah, but fluoride. very small amounts of minerals. The yeah. other salts, the other salts, the Himalayan, the sea salts, the Celtic sea salts, and the Redmond salts, they have all of those trace minerals already in there. So that's the main difference between the two. One mm -hmm. thing I wanted to mention about sugar is this came, came out of the salt fix by Dr. James D. He mentions with research links to all of these, that there are 22 ways sugar causes salt depletion. So Whoa. I'm not going to list all of them, <laughs> but there's 22 ways here where, and this speaks to your making better food choices or better mm -hmm. decisions with our nutrition opportunities when we're fasting, because we, like you said, we do have less of them. Yeah, make um, them count. Yeah, sugar pretty much causes salt wasting, uh, salt depletion, we're talking about changes in the gut with candida to an allergic response to mm. autoimmune thyroiditis to Hashimoto's to hyper, excuse me, to hypothyroidism, to salt depletion, you know, sweat changes, reabsorption changes. So we really want to make sure that when we say the recommendation that we have for you is to increase your optimum sodium intake, the healthy salts to three to six grams per day. We also want to make sure that we're focusing on the other side of things, which is, hey, we've got fasting and low carb, right, that are going to decrease insulin and, and decrease aldosterone to help flush out, right, the water leaves, all the electrolytes leave. Mm -hmm. But then we have sugar, which also causes 22 ways it causes salt depletion. So when we say we, we're going to recommend three to six milligrams of sodium per day, that we're also taking into account these other causes as well. So making better mm -hmm. food choices, decreasing your sugars, decreasing your refined processed carbohydrates, et cetera. 
will change that recommendation. That's why we say you get to play around with it of 3,000 3, to 6,000 or three to six grams, which is about one and one third to two and two third teaspoons of salt per day, mm. not the 2,300 or 2.3 grams of sodium, which is less than one teaspoon of salt per day that's commonly advised. I say all that just to say that we're going to have to play around with this, but making sure that we know that that sugar content also plays a big role in that salt depletion problem. Dropping the dropping the sugar deliberately, but then increasing or prioritizing, I should yes. say, the the salt. I mean, that's that's where we we kind of like flip the scale, flip the balance, you know, kind of on its head. But that that's where we start to see you know better and better results, you know, for for right. our overall markers and for our, our fasting journey as well. Yep, hundred percent. Couple things just to mention is if you have hyperaldosteronism, Cushing's disease, disorder of the pituitary, or Little syndrome which is an inherited form of high blood pressure that causes excess reabsorption of sodium. Those are issues, those are situations where you would not just want to follow the recommendations of increasing your salt intake. Make sure that you talk to your doc because those are issues, those are places where you would not want to be increasing your sodium. Just to make sure that we say that on the front end. A few other things I want to mention, just in terms of the fact that our bodies might need more salt. We mentioned overconsumption of sugar that can cause salt wasting hypothyroidism, adrenal insufficiency, congestive heart failure can also lead to hyponatremia or low blood sodium. Medications, like we mentioned diuretics, right? So blood pressure medications and diuretics, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and even some, this is like catch-22 stuff, diabetes drugs, energy drinks, teas, caffeinated beverages. So I always love when I say this, and I don't know if we've ever said this on the pod, but add a little salt to your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I used to do bulletproof coffees, I would do salted butter rather than mm-hmm. just regular. The the other thing is exercise. You know, the more strenuous yep. your exercise is, your your sweat is also going to be a bit salty too. So you you yep. you do lose some more excess salt, you know, whenever you're you're working out. So keeping that in mind too, especially if you're 100%. if you're fasted. Yep. And then we mentioned the last couple, which is intermittent fasting, especially if you're doing longer fasting windows and you predominantly eat low carb, you definitely want to be upping the salt intake. So Tommy, how do you get your salt in every single day as we wrap up today's conversation? I, I start off with a, with a couple of things. I like the discipline of, of putting some salt about a gram or so with like my morning, my water before I actually intake any coffee, just because that's like a good subconscious reminder. Like Fasting and my fasting lifestyle is very important to me. And so it's one of the first votes that I that I place for myself, like right there in the morning. I'll usually try to get most of my salt in by around two o'clock in the afternoon because after that, it's a little random, can be a little bit of a, a family free for all, like going into the evening time. I definitely don't want to be playing catch up, you know, later on in the day. But there's there's a few moving parts there. It depends on activity level, especially early in the day, different things like, you know, like what my morning actually looks like can kind of play a role. So definitely some moving parts there that, that, that can take some time to kind of iron out or kind of get comfortable with. Yeah. So we, we talked on the masterclass a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the hydration piece, right? It's not just Mm. more water. If you're drinking more water and you're still thirsty and you're drinking more water and you're just peeing all the time, like that shows that you have an imbalance if you're waking up in the middle of the night. Right. So for me, taking into account the history of insulin resistance, et cetera, I found that I like to load my hydration, most of it in the middle of the day, and then I sip 
or just keep my mouth not from getting dry with some mineral water like Pellegrino or Topo Chico or something like that and sip on that the rest of the day. You can't chug. I could never possibly even chug Pellegrino if I wanted to because it's way too bubbly. (laughs) But I typically will load in the front of the day. So I'll do an entire teaspoon of Redmond's Mm. in a 30-ounce Yeti in the morning with my vitamin C. What else do I put in there? My citrulline which is part of a respiratory protocol that I do yeah. having had severe asthma, you know, most of my teenage into my early adult life. I just notice I feel better when I do that. So I get a teaspoon in right off the bat, the vitamin C knocks out the salt flavor. You can't even taste it. Nice. And I'll get that down before my coffee, which is at about 90 minutes after I wake up. Okay. So then I'll add a little pinch of salt into my coffee as well. It just takes the acidity out of it for me. I typically want that boost, right? About 90 minutes after waking up, getting the kids out the door, getting ready for the workday. Boom, here we go. And then in the mid-afternoon time between one and three, especially if I'm not eating lunch that day and I'm fasting to dinner or fasting through to the following day, Mm -hmm. then I like to do an LMNT with another teaspoon. So now I'm up to two teaspoons Mm -hmm. plus the 1,000 milligrams in the LMNT. Mm -hmm. And we'll drop a link to, we have an LMNT partnership where you get a free box, no matter what box of LMNTs that you order from the link, you get a free box, which is really cool. So So buy the sample pack. It's the $20 one, right, Tommy? And then you get another free box on top of that, which is really cool. If you've never tried LMNTs, it's a really easy way to hide the salt flavor because some of y'all just gag at the the (laughs) idea of this. And it's just like, hopefully by now, you know what this episode, it's that important. I'll just crunch on the crystals too, you know, sometimes. Yeah, no, see, no, no. I can't yeah. do that. <clears throat> yeah, nope. or 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 like a like a one p.m. like salty coffee in the yeah, afternoon, yeah, there you go. like yeah. with, with like a chocolate element tea. Now that is something we to look so forward different. to in the afternoon. Nope. <laughs> it's chocolate so element tea is not not made. All right, I'm uh, talking about it, the flavor. It was made for, for coffee. No, disagree. But that's okay. <laughs> See, this is why we did this. this. Is why I asked you the question. How do you do it? How do I do it? Yeah. So then, so that second one in that day is I'm now I'm up to two teaspoons of Redmond's. And then I will get my LMNT in as well to give it a little bit of flavor. And that's mm. typically my standard day. I'm nice. doing a lot of rehab, so very low anaerobic exercise. I don't sweat that much. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing Peloton Challenge with my wife, I would add in just another half teaspoon and shoot it with the pre-workout uh, right before I okay. hop on the bike. Before. Yep. But that gets me to about two teaspoons plus that thousand from the LMNT. So I'm in that one, probably in that two to two and a third teaspoon of salt. And mm-hmm. I just feel better on my fasting days when I do that. Yeah. So that is how I get it in. So you're just going to have to play around with it. You can get the book, The Salt Fix as well. Dr. James, the link to the research articles will be in the show notes, the link to the LMNT. And I want to encourage y'all, if you're looking to accelerate and learn some of this stuff with us, meaning like alongside of you, then we have that upcoming challenge on June 7th with the seven-day fasting lifestyle challenge. If you want to figure out some of this stuff with us as your fractional white glove fasting support, then I'll encourage you to head to the show notes, click the link. You can get registered for that as well. Tommy. Yes. I love this conversation, man. Breaking down some of the myths, some of the things that have been generationally passed down. We need salt. Salt's imperative. Find a salt that you like. Try a few different things and let us know if we can help in any way. Final thoughts as we wrap up today? Final thoughts is like, this is one of those things where, especially in the beginning of fasting or when you start to push a little bit outside of your comfort zone, salt can be one of those things where when I'm not getting it right, I'm not very comfortable. So it can it can be like one of the yeah. discouraging things if I'm not getting it right. It can make the process right. easier is what I'm hearing. 
yeah, it can make it harder or easier depending on if I'm getting it right or not. So absolutely, this is one of the one of the big things that we we focus on and yep. we teach on during the seven day challenge. So I think that's on that's day a really one. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, it, because it's that important. So that yep. like that that's a huge huge opportunity for sure. So I, I love this. Give yourself permission to do something new and get some new results because there's some things that we've been hearing for a long time that we need to kind of unhear, you know, but as we start to get new results, then we confirm the fact that, ah, yeah, you know what? I'm on the right track now. Absolutely. Go try something new. I love it. Breaking down those barriers, sir. Appreciate the conversation. And if you got questions or need resources, head to the show notes, find the links. Appreciate you, sir. We'll talk soon. Thank you. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free fast start guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.